Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. We're in this collection of messages. We're actually wrapping up today. Uh, it's called Asking for a Friend. Asking for a Friend. And essentially, if you haven't been able to be a part of this with us, or maybe you're new to the church today, uh, essentially, we've been talking about this. There's sometimes there are questions that we have that we're wrestling with and we're dealing with, and we'd like to know the answer to that question or at least some type of tip on how to deal with that thing that we're, we're walking through and we're dealing with. But a lot of times we, we, we fail to ask that question to someone that could potentially help us because we, we maybe have a fear of uh, they may judge us because we're, we ask this question because we're dealing with this particular thing or struggling with this particular thing. And sometimes we're afraid to ask the question because of how we think someone may perceive us. And so what many of us do is we, we ask the question on behalf of a friend friend. And, uh, and so we've been, we've been talking about these things the last few weeks. The first week, I think we talked about stress. Like, like I'm asking for a friend that's dealing with stress. How do you deal with stress, right? Uh, another week, we talked about doubt, dealing with doubt. Like, I have a friend that's dealing with doubt. What should I tell him to help or her to help with the doubt that they're dealing with and the faith that they're struggling with? Uh, we also talked last week about depression. You're dealing with depression. I have a friend that's dealing with depression. How should they deal with their depression? And as we were praying about this, I actually, I wrote a sermon on one particular topic and yesterday a group of our leadership team we got together and we were talking about different things and something came up at about 11 o'clock we started talking about the topic of loneliness and as soon as we began to discuss the the pain of loneliness and the the weight of loneliness and the burden of loneliness um I really just felt a burden in my heart I really just felt like this is something we've got to talk about and so I, I scrapped that message and I began to pray and say, God, speak to me. And even this morning, God was speaking to me. And it was strange because he brought me back to the passage that we preached last week. It's 1 Kings chapter uh, number 19. And we talked about depression out of this chapter where a spiritual leader named Elijah, he had one of the highest moments of his life, of his ministry career, if you even want to call it that. One of the highest moments in chapter 18, he prays. Uh, he's competing against the prophets of Baal, 500 against one. And they try to pray and call down fire from their God and it just doesn't work and he prays a simple powerful prayer and God responds to his prayer how many are thankful that God responds to our prayers that we have a God that listens and responds and so he prays his prayer God responds to the prayer it's a powerful moment it's a victory for the people of God and then the very next chapter after the highest of highs he has one of the lowest of lows and he, he gets into this situation with the, this queen named Jezebel who begins to, to, to make these death threats towards him. He's so afraid he runs for, for his life. And we talked about this last week of how he ran to a place where he isolated himself and he began to kind of stew in his juices of depression. Okay, And it was a bad situation. And we talked about how do you come out of that. But it's interesting because one of the things is kind of the dark side of there's depression on this one side of isolation, and then, then there's this loneliness on the other side, which, by the way, depression is, it's, it's not just a clinical thing. There is actually, there's a spirit of heaviness we talked about last week. There's also, I believe, a spirit of loneliness. And so that's why we go to scriptures to find out how do we deal with these things that can sometimes trouble us. And so 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm going to read you uh, pretty much the whole chapter. And so put on your seatbelt. We're a Bible church, okay? Here we go, it says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, remember the prophets of Baal situation, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make you like uh, that of one of them. Essentially saying, I'm gonna kill you, right? And then from that message that he 
obviously believes from him buying into this really what we'll see is a lie because eventually she ends up dying. It says this, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, isolation. We talked about it a bit last week. He isolates himself. He leaves his friend. He goes uh, to this broom bush and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. Remember last week we talked about the roots of a broom bush are actually toxic. So he's now positioned himself and isolated himself away from community and now he's in a toxic place ruminating and just going through all these lies in his mind wishing that he would die. And he goes on and he says this, he says he prayed and he says that I, he prayed and he wished that he would die. I've had enough, Lord, he says. Will you just take my life? I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush, the bush and he fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him. Aren't you thankful for a touch from heaven? That when you need God to touch your life, God in his grace, even when you're not reaching out for him, he's reaching out for you. He goes on and he says this, he says, and this angel touches him and says, hey, Elijah, get up and eat. Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head, this is, this is talking about some beautiful provision. There by his head was some carbs, some bread, some bread baked over uh, hot coals and a jar of water. I know carbs are of the Lord. I just know it, okay? It's gluten-free people. You need to get a revelation. He ate and he drank and then he lay down again. So, so, so he, he, he gets up, he eats, he gets up and he drink. And then he takes a nap again. He's taking care of his body. God's focused, taking care of his physical before he starts dealing with his emotional, which is unbelievable. And then it says again, again, the angel of the Lord came back a second time. How many know sometimes God's got to try to get our attention more than once? Right? Me, 27 times. You can ask my mom. God had to try to get my attention. Uh, touches him again. He says, again, get up and eat. He says, you need to, you need to eat some more food. You, you need to take care of yourself even more than what you already have. Why? For the journey is too much for you. Is that you need to get stronger. Do you know that God's got an amazing spiritual journey for your life? But unless you focus on your health, your journey will be very painful. He says, he says the journey is too much for you. He says, so he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Have you ever been in that place before of your life and you thought, how did I get here? How did I end up in this place? So God brings him to this place. God knows why he's there, but he's trying to help Elijah get a sense of awareness and revelation. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. He's like, I'm all by myself, God. He's having this little pity party in the cave. He's victimizing himself. I'm the only one, God. There's no one. I'm all alone. I have no friends. I have no family. Remember, he left his friend. It's like, I have no one, God, and so I'm just in this cave, and I'm by myself. And he goes on, and the Lord says to him, I want you to go out. He's saying, come out of the cave. I want you to go out, and I want you to stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. The Lord is about to pass by. He says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. 
After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Thank God for that in San Francisco. Amen. After the earthquake came a fire. This is like the original earth, wind, and fire. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. That's so cheesy. And y'all laugh too. I got you. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper, a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Again, he's asking these questions just like how God asked Adam, where are you? It wasn't for God's sake. It was for Adam's sake and this is for Elijah's sake. He's trying to help him get a revelation. And it only comes from God's voice. And again, he says, I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. I'm, I'm so alone. I'm all by myself. They're trying to kill me. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Interesting. You left your friends. Go back the way you came. You didn't lose your friends. You left your friends. Hey, that was good. He says, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, I want you to do this. He says, I want you to anoint. This is in the Bible times, the scriptural times, they would take anointing oil and they would anoint someone, usually for service. They were setting them apart. They were consecrating them. They were appointing them. He says, Elijah, I want you to go and I want you to set apart Hazel, king over Aram. Also, I want you to anoint and set apart Jehu, the son of, I can't even say it, Nimshi or whatever. It sounded like a sushi roll. King over Israel. And then I want you to anoint, look, Elisha, this is his protege, eventually will become his protege. I want you to anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat. Um, and then he goes on, he says, he's going to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel. From Hazel, Elisha will put to death anyone who escaped the sword from Jehu. And then he says this, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. This is God's way of saying, you think you're the only one. That's a lie. There are more. There are more prophets. There are more people. People, You're not alone. You have believed a lie. It is the lie of loneliness. You have believed a lie, and we're going to deal with the lie today. I love this because there's this paradox in our culture. We've never been more connected than we are today, and yet we've never felt more alone. We live in a seven by seven mile block here with almost a million people, one of the most densely populated cities in North America, and yet people struggle with loneliness more than I have ever seen before in my life. Loneliness is a real thing, not just in our city, but all over. It is something that is just growing and festering. So many of us, um, we have thousands of friends online or thousands of followers online, and yet we, we fail to have at least a couple of deep enough friendships where we can have those real conversations with. So we're filled with followers and fans and we lack true, authentic friendship and community. We're more connected than ever, but we're more disconnected than ever. Loneliness stats, here's a few for you. Uh, this may feel like a heavy message. It's all right, it will get better. There is hope, right? Uh, some, some of the stats on loneliness is, in, listen to this, in the last 50 years, rates of loneliness have doubled in the U.S., according to professional counselors. Two out of five Americans, essentially 40%, say that they have no meaningful relationships. Two out of five. 50% of Americans consistently feel alone, left out, and isolated. Loneliness has been declared a national epidemic. 
a national epidemic. Look at the effects of loneliness. Chronic uh, loneliness significantly increases our risk of health problems, such as cardiovascular disease, suppresses immune system, and can even lead to premature death. Um, you're less likely to achieve uh, quality sleep whenever you're dealing with loneliness because you'll sit in your bed and ruminate about what you don't have and the people that you don't have and how you're all alone. It decreases your reasoning, your creativity, and your productivity. Commonly connected with mental health issues such as anxiety, depression, and suicide is this thing we call loneliness. It's linked to poor coping mechanisms such as smoking and self-harm and compulsive technology and the abuse of substances. This is a quote from the Psychology Today I read. It says, individuals who are lacking connection in their lives may turn to the digital realm to quench their isolation. Social media, right? Twitter fingers. <laughs> It says this, it says, we'll turn to that, we'll turn to that to quench the, that feeling of loneliness. And it says, in a survey exploring social media patterns, it was found that individuals who logged in for half an hour per day felt less lonely compared to individuals who logged in for more than two hours per day. And this is what we do. We rush to connection to find connection, yet we feel more disconnected. It is the most interesting thing that we find ourselves in today. And again, as I've said the last few weeks, I'm not against social media. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on all the things you can be on. And it's phenomenal. And it serves its purpose. God can use it to leverage a message of hope to get that out to people. And so I, I understand that. But I think that there's, there's some of these, these things that we try to feel connected through. And we're trying to replace an authentic hand-to-hand, skin-to-skin connection with people. And it just will never work. And we perpetuate this sense of loneliness with some of the things that we try to use to fix it. And um, I was reading this. I don't even know what this means, if I'm honest with you. I need to do some research on it. But I read an article that said, in early 2018, the United Kingdom appointed a minister of loneliness. What do they even do? I don't know. I'm going to dig into that. But the fact is, is they saw that it was such a problem. They're like, we need to have a minister of loneliness. You imagine that the government seeing the problem that the church sometimes avoids to talk about. As the New York Times reports, uh, says this, says research is showing that loneliness can be more deadly to your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Light it up. <clears throat> I'm going to try to put some humor throughout this so that we're not too heavy, church, okay? Gosh, it really doesn't take this stuff seriously. Listen, okay? You haven't been here long enough to know me, okay? Listen to this. A recent study showed that over 200,000 elderly people in Britain had not had one conversation with a friend or relative in a month. It's not just the elderly, those that are seasoned in life. University students report feeling very alone because they feel rejected or they don't fit in somewhere. It doesn't matter if you're young or old. There are different things that, that are the causes of this. Some, it may be that you're widowed, maybe divorced, and now you feel lonely. Maybe an empty nester, and, and now the kids are gone, and you feel lonely as much as you prayed for the kids to get out of the house, and now they're out, and you're like, now I feel lonely, right? Maybe it's a, a new city. You move to a new city, and you, and you have that sense of loneliness, and you miss the friends you once had, and now you just, you're struggling to make the connection. Or you start a new job, and you're the new person there, and you're just stuck in your cube, cubicle, and you're just like, oh, my gosh, I don't know anyone, and you're trying to make connections, and everyone kind of, you know, messages each other around lunch, and they're going to lunch, and you don't get the message, and you just... So there's all these different causes, and I'm not, I'm not naive enough to believe that it's just one thing. There's many different things that can cause it, but what I do know is that it is a real pain, and it hurts so bad when you feel it. When you feel like you're in a cave 
all by yourself. The good news is, is that you can find God in that cave. And God can call you out of it. You don't have to live in loneliness. It doesn't matter who has left you. It doesn't matter who's rejected you. It doesn't matter who's abandoned you or who's abused you. You do not have to live in loneliness. You don't have to live in it. You don't have to. So stats tell us that it's bad to be alone. But they didn't just come up with this idea. This has actually been a problem, not just since social media, but since the beginning of time. Look what another person said. The Lord God said, Genesis 2, that it is not good for man to be alone. God created so many things in those first six days. You know, he created so many things and everything. The cadence of creation is he spoke, there it was, and he's like, mm, that's good. He spoke, there it was, he's like, mm, that's good. And then he creates man, and he looks at man, and he goes, this is not good. Now, I, I imagine that, <laughs> ladies, why are you laughing? <laughs> God looks at man, he's like, this is not good. He's going to destroy this whole thing. He's going to mess it all up. <clears throat> but God looked at his creation. How can God create something that's not good? I think it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't complete yet. Because, because God, God knew this, this man, he's, he's going to need help. He's gonna need, some of us need a lot of help. He's going to need a helper to do what I've called him to do and to become who I've called him to become. And God saw that it was not good. And so how do we deal with this? The narrative of the text with Elijah that we read originally is that he experiences this, this moment of complete belief into this lie of Jezebel. He runs and isolates himself under a broom bush next to a brook, wishing he could die. He's starving himself in isolation. He's left his community. He's left his friend. He's left his calling, his life's purpose. He's left everything to come to this place to just give up. And he wants to give up. And God comes to him in his grace. I'm so thankful for that. That in the moments when I'm at my lowest and my worst, and I feel like there's no hope, God rushes towards us. And God comes to him and he's like, Elijah, you got to get up. You're better than this. There's a calling on you. You got to get up. Come on, get up, get up. And I want you to leave this place of isolation. I want you to come over here and I want you to come to this cave. Now, here's what you need to notice is that it seems like he leaves one place of loneliness to go to another place of loneliness. But there is a difference between, lone, or there's a difference between isolation and solitude. Isolation actually deconstructs and destroys your soul and it makes you ruminate on the lies. But solitude is with the intention to be transformed. Solitude is with the intention to be renewed and to be refreshed. Isolation does nothing for you that's good. And even if you're an introvert, I don't care if you're a one or a five or whatever you are on the Enneagram, if you're a 12, because you don't know that there's only nine and you're just confused with the Enneagram, it doesn't matter if you're, what you are in Myers and Briggs, it doesn't matter what you are in the Enneagram, none of those things. If you're an extrovert or introvert, the, the bottom line is you were never created for isolation, but you were created for solitude. And so God takes him from this broom bush, from this toxic place of isolation, and he brings him over here to a cave to spend time with him and to get a revelation and to get an awareness of who God is, who the, what the presence of God is for, and, and essentially who he is himself. And he wants him to understand the lies that he is believing. You need to write this down. Solitude is a gift of God, but isolation is a tool of the enemy. Solitude, it's completely a gift. Like God wants you to have that gift of solitude where you can have that time to be just with him and to be renewed and be refreshed and be transformed. But don't call your isolation your solitude. 
You are deceiving yourself. I am deceiving myself. I just need to be left alone. There are some days when we think we need, we, we need isolation and we just need to get away from people so that we can kind of sort things out. And that's some of the worst places for you to be, for, for me to be. You'll never sort it out. It'll get worse and worse. And you'll, you'll actually start creating your own lies that you'll believe. And you'll self-deceive yourself. Self-deceive yourself. You get me what I'm saying. Whatever. Delete that. Edit that. Thank you. It's a gift of God, solitude, but isolation, it is, it is a tool of the enemy. But here's what you need to notice. Look, look. So he's first in isolation. There's a progression here. He's in isolation, which it, it's, it perpetuates this thing. He's isolated, so he feels lonely. I'm the only one. Then it makes him feel depressed. He's depressed, and now he feels even more alone. It's just he's stewing in this stuff, right? So he's, he's in isolation, and he's, he's dealing with loneliness. And then God brings him to solitude so that he can gain awareness and then when you finish reading the story, then he connects him, reconnects him with community, right? So that he can find fulfillment. And this is the path. This is the progression that God wants to lead us on. But I love this. Psalm 68 says this. God places the lonely in families. Every sermon on loneliness I've ever heard, people quote this scripture. God places lonely in families. May I submit to you this idea that God places us in what we need, but it does not exempt us from the responsibility to cultivate what he's given us. God can place you in a new job, but if you don't put forth the effort that it takes, you'll be back fluffing up that LinkedIn profile of yours, stretching it out. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Making that resume look really good, putting some lipstick on a pig. You know what I'm saying? God can place you in a great job, but that does not exempt you from taking responsibility to put in the work. God can place you in a great house on the top of Pack Heights, $20 million, but it does not exempt you from taking care of that house, from making that house a home, from paying the bill. It, it, God can give us so many things. He wants to place the lonely in families, but that does not mean that it's just going to be easy, that it's just going to take no effort on our part. Like, and I'm, I'm not trying to be hard on anyone that may deal with loneliness. I have dealt with, which I'll share a story in just a little bit. But what I've discovered is that many people that have victimized themselves and say that they're lonely, a lot of it, there are avoidable situations. There's, there's, there's so many things that, that could be avoided. And even the sense of loneliness, if you would take some responsibility for the loneliness, which is my first point that I want to give you. Here's the first thing. You have to stop believing the lie you got to stop believing the lie that you're the victim. You're not. It doesn't matter that he left you. It doesn't matter that she doesn't show up anymore. It doesn't matter that you don't fit into that group. Those are lies that you're believing, you're buying into. You need to understand that in the same way that God was calling Elijah to go into anoint or appoint three different people to be a part of his life, God has already anointed your friends to be your friends. And some of you need to hear this. It's going to take some friends with a special anointing to be a friend with you. Hey! I'm just, I'm just teasing. I'm messing with you. I'm messing with you. Here's the point. I think God has already set apart. Not seven. Memory says, you're not alone. There's 7,000, but there's three I want you to connect with. I think sometimes we victimize ourselves because we're not, a, we're not fitting into the 7,000, the big thing, when God's already anointed three just for you. I'll never forget when I first came to this city, I met with this one pastor. Y'all don't tell anybody I said this, okay? I met with this one pastor and I met with him and uh, it was so awkward. It was the most awkward thing. And I'm gonna be honest with you. Like I really wanted to fit in. I really wanted him to like me. I really wanted him to think that I was cool or whatever. And I'm just, you know, I'm just 
you know, trying to like impress him and everything, just being so immature, right? And he just, he, he was not feeling the, my vibes at all. And, and I knew it whenever, whenever we were leaving, we were parting ways. We didn't shake hands. We didn't do like the, you know, like the, like the guy hug where you pat him on the back. We did none of that. We looked at each other kind of like, we didn't even say, hey, we should do this more often. It was like, cool. <laughs> like we both knew it, right? I got in the car, I was so upset. I was like, why doesn't he like me? I'm like, oh God, why does he think, why does he think I'm a good pastor? I'm playing a good church. And oh my God, I'm like all in my head, ruminating. The next day, and that was in the city. The next day, some random pastor from over in the East Bay reached out to me and was like, hey, you wanna do lunch? I was like, yeah, I don't have no friends, let's do this. So I went to lunch with this guy. It was supposed to be a one hour lunch. It turned into a three hour lunch. I got back in my car. Matter of fact, we were leaving lunch, and he was like, let me walk you to your car. I'm like, okay, great. This is great. <laughs> he sees my Jeep. I used to have a Jeep. He goes, you drive a Jeep? I drive a Jeep. It was like one of those matches made in heaven. It was unbelievable. It's like God had anointed him to be my friend, right? I get in my car. I'm riding, uh, coming across the, the, the Bay Bridge, and I literally contrasted. God reminded me of the day before and that day, and God's like, why are you trying to force that, that thing that why are you trying to make that? Like, I haven't anointed him to be in divine flow relationship with you. Like, stop. Stop forcing it. And this other guy, man, we're, we're great friends. We play golf all the time. And I'm terrible. He's good. You know, he reminds me of it all the time. But we're like, we have this friend. We text each other. We call each other. It's like 13-year-old like girls texting each other. I mean, it's like, but you know, here's the thing. I believe that God set him apart and set me apart for us to be life-giving relationships. But what if I just kept sulking over the day before guy that does not have a grace for me and I definitely don't have a grace for him? You were not anointed for me, my brother, and I'm, an, I'm not anointed for you, okay? So let's just part with, he's been reaching out to me and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna extend some grace, okay? I'm gonna extend the olive branch to him. But the point I'm trying to make is this, don't, don't get upset if there's certain people that don't like you or there's certain people that don't vibe with you, who cares? The people that matter don't mind and the people that mind don't matter. Like who cares about the people that don't wanna chill with you? I'm just being so real with y'all. Is it okay? I'm preaching to your Monday. I don't care about your Sunday. I care about your Monday and your Tuesday. Stop believing a lie. Stop believing the lie. Listen, loneliness is a liar and loneliness will tell you over and over again that because they left you, everyone will always leave you. Loneliness will tell you that because, because this person didn't think you were good enough, you're not good enough. Loneliness is a liar. You need to, call, call, you need to just go ahead and label, label it. When you start to feel lonely, you just say, loneliness, you're a liar. Personify it. Loneliness, you're a liar. The truth is, I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm valued. I have community. I have family. And though I may not have found my tribe yet, there's a tribe anointed for me because God set them apart. You need to speak to your loneliness. Take authority over that. Don't let loneliness... Lock you up, incarcerated in isolation. Don't do it. Don't let him lock you up. Um, I, I love this, uh, these things right here. I was texting with a buddy last night. It's a pastor down in LA. He just preached a message on loneliness last weekend. I asked him to send me some of his notes. And I noticed these five things. He, he said the same thing, uh, loneliness is a liar. And he said, here's the five lies that loneliness will tell you. Number one, no one cares. Number two, no one misses me and they don't notice my absence. No one could ever love me. What I do does not matter. And it's their fault that I'm lonely. Those are lies. And, when you, and there's probably more. This is not an exhaustive list. But when the lies come, don't believe the lie.
Don't believe the lie. Second one is this, and I've kind of touched on this, but just, just to make sure we're clear, is that you and I, we have to take responsibility for our loneliness. If you feel it, don't be the victim. Take responsibility. I, I, I mean, look in the text. Everything, I'm not just making this stuff up. Look in the text. How many times does God, through the angel or God through his voice himself, tell Elijah to do something? Get up, eat. Go to sleep. Get up, eat. Drink some water. He's telling him to do, he's giving him, he's giving him commands, giving him directives. Hey, now I want you to, you're going you're gonna to walk for 40 days. You're gonna, for 40 days, you're going to go, you're going to go find a cave. You're going to go get in that cave, and then you're going to listen to me. I want you to go and stand at the front of the cave. God is telling him to do all these things. God could have just, like, snapped his fingers in his sovereignty, in his omnipotence, and fixed the problem of loneliness and depression. But he didn't, because that would be cheap. He wanted, he wanted Elijah to work with him. The Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You can't work for your salvation, but I can tell you this. For some of the deliverance and the salvation that we need in our life and victory in certain areas, we can't just expect for God to work everything out. We've got to work with him. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to work with the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's amazing how God doesn't just fix all the problems. He says, Elijah, there's part of this you're going to have to take responsibility, and there's an onus that you're going to have to assume. You're going to have to work with me here. And it begins to do that. And I'll, I'll illustrate it with this. I remember when Jennifer and I moved to Dallas, Texas. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Texans back there. We, we, came out of, we came out of Egypt, I mean, Louisiana. And <laughs> kidding, kidding. I'm kidding. I love Louisiana. But, um, and God brought us to the promised land, San Francisco. Okay. But I remember whenever we, we left Louisiana and we had friends and family that we had established great relationships with for a long time. Um, amazing relationships. We'd walked through many deep, dark valleys and had a lot of great mountaintop experiences. So there were deep relationships. Well, we left all of that and we went to Dallas, Texas and didn't know anybody. A few of our friends ended up moving over there as well. Elton was one, the Ferreras, a couple other people, Andy. And, um, but, be, but there was this moment where I felt so alone. I felt so discouraged. And, 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 and it was just, it was the, one of the loneliest seasons. One day, I remember Jennifer, she came home. This is actually, I'd been working at Gateway. Flying, I would fly on Monday morning to Dallas from Baton Rouge. I would work through Thursday while my family was in Baton Rouge. And I'd fly back home. And I was just in a lonely, dark place. Finally, Jennifer and the kids, they, they moved uh, over to Dallas. And I remember one morning, I was getting up for work, to go to work, feeling so lonely, so depressed, so discouraged. And Jennifer, she's got one kid over here. She's got a baby over here. She's getting dressed and all this stuff. I'm like, where are you going? You just got here like yesterday. I'm like, did you get a job and I don't know about it? Like, where, what? You get a man and I don't know about it? You better tell me what's up. What's going on here? What's going on here? You looking good and smelling good. Where are you going? And she looked at me. She goes, I'm going to a small group. And I looked at her and I was like, where? Like, you don't know anybody. She's like, I, I think she said she looked on the directory at the church. And she's like, I'm just going to go make some friends. I can't just sit up here in this garage apartment that we were living in at the time. She was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to meet some people. What was she doing? She was taking responsibility and not being a victim. She went there. And listen, I thought we went to Gateway Church in Dallas for me because was, I was in a rough season of my life. I thought we went there for my healing. But Jennifer tells people all the time, we didn't go to Gateway for Jason. We went to Gateway for me. She went there and she connected with some people. The point I'm trying to make is there is a responsibility. Don't make excuses. Some things are so practical as this, is that if you're going to the wrong places, you're going to meet the wrong people. When you put yourself in the right place consistently, 
You can't just dip into church or dip into this small group or dip into this thing and think, oh, I'm gonna meet my man or I'm gonna meet this person. I'm gonna, you, there has to be consist. <laughs> Sometimes you just, you just gotta go there people, okay? God works in the conspiracy of consistency. He does. Be consistent, be in the right place. Put yourself in those right places. I wanna encourage you, get in a small group. Some of you are like, I looked and they don't have any small groups. I like, well, start one. Make one. Create the community you so desire. Third thing is this, it is really simple. This is, I thought this doesn't even seem like a point, but it's the point, it's a, it's a, it's not even, the first two were propositions. This is a, this is a point, this is a command. This is, I sense that this is from God. This is what it is. Come out of your cave. Come out of your cave. I sense when I read that today that God said there are people that are, that I, I brought them to a season that was like a cave for them to actually encounter me and to be transformed and to grow, but they've chosen to stay in solitude and they've turned their solitude into isolation. And now their cave has become their confinement. And now they're stuck in this place and they feel like there's no hope to get out. And I feel like the Holy Spirit just wanna say, you gotta come out of the cave. For some of you, it's as practical as just get out of your house more. Your house has become your cave. Your job has become your cave. What is your cave that you need to come out of and get connected to the right people that will be life-giving for you? Come out of your cave. Listen, when we were at Gateway in that season, I was in a cave. My wife was going to small groups, and I was, but I was so discouraged. And I had, on, I, was, I had to wear a suit on the weekends. Thank God for a casual church in Jesus' name. But I had to wear a suit on the weekends. And I was wearing this, I was in this suit, sitting in the back, standing in the back of the church. And there were, literally there were 1,500 people in this room. And this is one service, 35,000 people at the church I worked at. 1,500 people in this room. I was in a room filled with familiar strangers. And I was so alone. I was surrounded, but I was isolated. And I felt like this church, I don't connect with this church. I don't connect with these people. I don't, I'm the only one. No one feels like this. Look at everybody talking and look at that click. Look at this circle. Look at this. And they all, everybody's got their friends and they're going to lunch and nobody invited me. And I was victimizing myself and just stewing in my own juices. I couldn't even take it. I was so frustrated. I left that room in my cute little suit. I went to the bath. The only, the only safe place was the bathroom. I went to the bathroom because I didn't want anybody to see me crying because I was dealing with loneliness so bad. I went to the, to the handicap stall because there was more space because I wanted to like pace in there. I'm in there just like in that handicap stall walking around and finally I just fully clothed but I sit on, that, on the toilet. I mean, talk about the lowest place. I'm like so depressed and I'm sitting there and I'm telling God, I'm the only one just like Elijah. There's no one, no one out there cares. I'll never have friends like I used to have. I'm going through all this stuff, just victimizing myself. And God said, will you quit crying and get out of this bathroom for starters <laughs> and become vulnerable and get out there and start meeting people and start a dinner party. We started a dinner party and people started showing up at the dinner party. And, and it was so funny. There were other people that were lonely and they just needed someone to reach out to them. But I had to come out of my cave so other people would come out of their cave. And the only way you'll ever get the strength to come out of that dark cave is this, is when you realize, you realize that Jesus 
Jesus felt the greatest level of loneliness than anyone could ever feel. Jesus was rejected by his friends, his closest friends he had given his life for. Jesus was abandoned and betrayed by even some of his friends. Jesus was rejected and abandoned by even some of his family, by his own nationality, his own people. Jesus was was rejected and abandoned by his own community, by his religious group. He was rejected and abandoned by everyone and he goes to the cross on Calvary. And on the cross, he felt the ultimate the ultimate feeling of abandonment and loneliness when he felt like his father, God, his father had turned his back from him. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he felt this ultimate abandonment and loneliness on the cross. And he goes from a cross to a cave. They put him in a tomb. It was a cave and he went into utter darkness dead in a cave with a stone rolled over in the darkest moment of humanity he went into the cave so that you could come out of it this is why this is the gospel this is Jesus listen to me if you're dealing with loneliness it's a lie don't believe the lies don't believe the lies of the enemy Jesus is Jesus wants to tell you this today you will never be alone because of him even when other people abandon you and reject you you'll never be abandoned and rejected by your heavenly father Thanks for listening. Join us each week here on the podcast or live in San Francisco. Keep up with life at Sozo by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.